And this is what the word of the Lord says. And while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. That's Jesus speaking to his disciples. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the promise. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now watch, go down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now go to chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 1 through 4 right now. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to start by saying this. The text that we're going into today has probably been the, mis- the most mishandled text you see throughout the church today. People believe that for, in order to show that you've been saved and you're, you're a born-again Christian, you must speak in tongues. That's what is taught in a lot of Pentecostal churches. But when we look at the book of Acts and the nine conversions that are listed in the book of Acts, these supernatural acts of God transforming people, you see that tongues aren't always the company sign. And we also know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, that not all speak in tongues. So this has been a mishandled text. So today what I want to look at is the author's intent and what it means for us today. Because see, God's word is not meant to just be read, but to be applied to our lives. God's word has the ability to transform you from the inside out. But we must know what was the author's intent. What does it mean for us today? The first thing we see is that suddenly there comes like a, a mighty rushing wind, the spirit. There's an experience that takes place. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The promised Power. In chapter 1, verse 4 and 8, this is it right here. This is the promise coming to completion. And we need to understand why this promised power was coming. This promised power in verse 8 tells us that because they were going to receive this power, they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. This was a supernatural power from on high. And the crazy part about this family is that this is the same power that gave him the boldness to be able to speak the gospel. When he was, Paul was shipwrecked, stoned. When Stephen was being stoned to death and he saw a vision of Jesus and he's proclaiming, making much of Jesus. That's the boldness that the spirit gives. 
He was empowered by the Spirit of God to proclaim with boldness, with authority, with confidence of who his Redeemer was. He saw Jesus. This boldness, this confidence, is what we see in the book of Acts. And notice that in verse 4, he says that when they were all filled, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. In other words, the Spirit was directing them what to say. You know, we have to understand that God was pouring out his Spirit, that he was pouring out his Spirit on his disciples that they would be the apostles that would go out to proclaim God's glorious truths, to proclaim and make much of Jesus. And today, the way we're affected by this family is that every single one of us who have been empowered by Jesus, we can experience this same witnessing power. My brother said it earlier, you know, about the empty seats. You know, the call for every single follower of Jesus is to be witnesses, to make much of Jesus, to proclaim the glorious name of Jesus with boldness, with confidence, with authority. We don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. We don't have to be ashamed to speak of God's truth and love. And you know what it is? That we would be witnesses from Houston to San Antonio to Texas to New Orleans to the ends of the earth. That's how that applies for you and I today. And family, I'm telling you, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, the reason why we're called to make disciples is because this twisted, crooked generation is lost. And the gospel, like y'all saw in the video, is the only answer. That's it. And notice that when they start to speak in tongues, they're not just speaking in gibberish. They're not just making words up. Now let's look at verse 5. Now they're dwelling in Jerusalem from Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak, watch this, in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we are hearing each one of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others said, they are filled with new wine. Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day, which is about 9 a.m. So you can see 
that when they heard these people speaking in tongues, they were speaking in their own native language. That's the key to understand this. Now watch this. Verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What they were speaking is the mighty works of God. And you know what this means for us is that at the end of the day, family, the gospel, the words that were spoken, were spoken to different people, to different nations, to different tribes. When we look at Revelation 5, and the same reason why we always say, hey, when we get together, we do a greeting, like, like this is what heaven's going to look like, the diversity. Revelation 5 is a picture of diversity. There's different people from different tribes, from different languages, come together under one banner, under one name, and that's the name of Jesus. So what this means for us is when we, when we see them speaking in their own language, and everybody here in their own language, it means that the gospel is for everyone. That's what that means. The gospel is for every single person. You know, where we're at in the north side, you see a lot of stuff, right? You've been in the area, you know, you've seen a lot of prostitution, you see a lot of brokenness. And you know what that means? The gospel's for them. See, the gospel is for the pimp and the politician. Yeah. The gospel is for the legalists and for the liar. The gospel is for the self-righteous, I'm too holy, the self-centered. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the Americans. The gospel is for the Latino Americanos. I had a hard time trying to say it this morning, you know, believe it or not. The gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter where we've been. See, because you know what we want to do is we, we want to think that God can't use us, that we're too stained, that there's nothing we can do to share with someone because of our past and what we've done. But see, that's being ineffective, exactly where Satan wants you to believe. He doesn't want you to believe that you've been adopted by faith to be a son of God to be a daughter of the Most High God, that God would see you without sin because he who knew no sin became sin for you so that we could become the righteousness of God and we become ineffective. Believing that God can't use us or on the flip side, man, those people are messed up. I'm glad they're not like me. Becoming very self-righteous. Believing that God can't reach them. You know, if we were to stop right now and we were to look at some of the people in the Bible that God has transformed, we'd be so amazed. I mean, Saul Tarsus is the go-to example. This guy was a murderer, killing Christians. Would you want to go share the gospel with that guy? Man, you'd be probably freaking out. Be like, man, this guy might try to kill me. Because that's exactly what he was doing. Man, there's been testimonies after testimonies of people in the Middle East who have heard the gospel and Christians who have gone to far off lands, to the ends of the earth, to proclaim the name of Jesus and they become martyrs. They, be, they get killed for preaching the name of Jesus. But in the process, some people have come to the faith. By the blood of the saints being spilled, 
the gospel is for everyone. And we see that God pours out his spirit. The reason why we're seeing these tongues being spoken, it was to fulfill prophecy. Because right after this, Peter explains to the people, the men of Israel, Jews who did not believe in Jesus as being the Messiah. And look at what, look, look at what Peter does. Watch this in verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's saying, listen, what you're seeing, this is what was written down. This is not my words. What you're seeing is a supernatural act of God working right now. It is God and his spirit pouring out on his people. It is prophecy being fulfilled. So many times I think we don't believe that God works in the supernatural. And I'll take this time to to take a stand in what I believe. You know, I believe that God is still at work. I believe believe that God can still heal people. I believe that God can, you know, can can actually bring someone on the face of being on their deathbed. Because me and Chris have seen this. A child of three months being healed. I believe in that. I believe that God still works in the supernatural that we can't explain or begin to think about. I believe people still speak in tongues, but they do it in the privacy of their home. And if they do it, they do it with an interpreter, as Paul says. And you know what? That's my stand. And I may look like a full sum. And I know some of my brothers don't believe that. but That's okay, Because at the end of the day, you know what unites us is the blood of Jesus. It's the gospel. But, man, I believe in God still working miracles, man. I've seen it. I've seen it. Watch what he says. Verse 16. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, this is a prophecy being fulfilled. And Peter is showing the men of Israel. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is proclaiming power. Man, imagine if you go to a group of people like, hey, man, you guys are the ones that killed Jesus. I mean, for real. 
I mean, it's not like it's not like starting off a good conversation. Be like, hey, you're responsible for the death of Jesus. It's your fault. But he does it because he's empowered by the spirit to testify to the mighty deeds and acts of God. This is proclaiming power. Family, listen to me. At the end of the day, I'm just your brother up here. There's nothing special about me. But I I would pray that God would move your heart in such a way that you would believe that. That you would go out in everyday life and know that when the Spirit empowers you to be a witness everywhere you go, that you have the Holy Spirit to give you the boldness, the confidence, and the authority to proclaim his word. That you're not alone. Because at the end of the day, family, we will be before, we will be before our king and give an account of our time. Man, we're called to make much of Jesus while we're here. I'm reminded, there's, it's somewhere in Acts, but Basically, Paul's at the end of his life, and um, he's on the beach, and they're praying together. And he begins to, to, to reminisce on what's happened. And I, and I think about that, like, man, like to know that you're about to die, to know that your time has come, but to know, man, you know what? I ran my race. I did what I was called to do, to be a witness to make much of Jesus, to speak with that boldness, that authority. Look at what it says in verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his thrones He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not to be abandoned to Hades, nor did the flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and that we were all and we were all witnesses. This proclamation power of Jesus. Man. You think about that. Like, man, with. Peter was speaking to the men of Israel. He was speaking with authority of the prophet David. He was reminding them of Joel's prophecy. But why? To point them back. To say, listen, every single thing in scripture, every single prophet, every single psalm, every single book, every single letter, points back to Jesus. It's always been about our king. It's always been about Jesus. And proof of this is that Jesus has been resurrected. 
And that's the proof the early church lived on. And for us, family, how we live by that is to believe, man, there is a resurrected Jesus. Man, to live that way, to believe that, to walk with the same empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to truly trust in the Lord. I mean, hear what I'm saying. Jesus is the Lord of Lords, the kings of kings, the almighty. God has given him authority, dominion under heaven and all the earth. He is worthy of every single praise. We make much of him. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. We should not let our doubts and our fear and our past control us. We push onward and upward toward our call in Christ Jesus. Who has God called us to be? Proclaiming power. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing. He's pointing to them. See, this is God doing this. For David did not send into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. We look at the life of Jesus and we know, man, that God preordained everything, that God is sovereign that God allowed Jesus to be crucified so that he would be the Lord and the Christ, our King, our Redeemer, that he would be the one that reconciled us back to God, that he would be the one to come rescue us, man. I always say it, but it's so true because Scripture tells us it wasn't by our hand. It's not by what we did. He did it for us, everything for us. He's the one that cancels our debt. He's the one that cleans the record that we had stained filled. And he makes us white as snow. Man, amen, sis. Praise God. Because you know what? When we fall into sin, when we feel so defeated, when we feel like, man, I can't get up right now. And we condemn ourselves. And we think there is no hope. Man, that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. But let me tell you something, family. When we fall down, we mess up, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. Because don't you know he already knew what you were going to do over 2,000 years ago on that cross? And when he died for your sins, he died not only for those past sins, not only your present sins, but your future sins. But what we're called to do, family, is to be witnesses to those promises. Let us not, be, let us not shy away from proclaiming the faithfulness of God. 
Let us not feel the weight of condemnation, but let us say, all those who are in Christ are new creation. There remains no more condemnation for me because I've been blood bought. But preaching the gospel to yourself, man, I will be the first one to tell you that when I sin and I fall into sin, I have a hard time believing the gospel. I'll be the first. Am I the only one in the room? Or is it? Okay. Okay. Got two people only. Okay. Well, okay. Good. Thank you guys for being honest. Because it's hard, right? I mean, it really is hard. But you know what? Faith is not dependent upon what we believe. We're depending upon Jesus, and that's it, and his promises. So it doesn't matter if we don't believe it or not. When we come to him by faith and he makes us his children, guess what? He's never lost one. Never. It's impossible. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete that good work in you, to what you've been called. You have been created in Christ for good works. I love what the New Living Translation says, that you're a masterpiece before God's eyes. Because how he sees us now is as his children. Family, I want us to look at verse 37 real quick. And I want us to see the reaction of these men of Israel After they heard what Peter said, listen to what he says in verse 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, look how they talked to him. They heard what they, what he, what Peter said, and they turned to them and say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we're being witnesses, walking in this promised power from the Father, for every single follower of Jesus, you have a promised power and that's the Holy Spirit. This promised power gives you the boldness, the confidence, and the authority to speak and to proclaim with power. And what you will see as you're being witnesses of Jesus, there will be times that people begin to feel the weight of conviction. Being cut to the heart means there was a convicting power upon their hearts. Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel strips away every single thing that you can feel why you made it to God or why you're in a relationship with God. It leaves you stripped away of any power to think that you earned your way to God by your good deeds. That is a lie. It is impossible. There's only been one perfect person, and that's been Jesus. But as you're faithfully witnessing the gospel, there will be times people feel the Holy Spirit convicting them. And I've witnessed this, and I'm sure you have too, where someone begins to weep and tear up, and they're like, man, you know what, man, I need Jesus. 
That moment is the very moment that you tell them, we're called to repent. To turn away from every single thing that could, you could feel that you depend upon yourself for salvation. Don't depend upon yourself for salvation. Depend on the one who died for you on that cross of Calvary. Turn away from the sins that you're in. This is the call, family. This is the call. Calling them to repent and to be baptized. Now, they have in the name of Jesus right here, but we have to remember that Jews were, he was talking to Jews and they didn't believe in Jesus. We baptize in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And one of Pentecostals will use this verse to say, oh, look, it says right here, you're only supposed to baptize in the name of Jesus. No, it's the content. The context says that he's speaking to men of Israel. I don't want to go down that road because it's too much to get into. But at the end of the day, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so today, family, as I close, I ask this. I ask you to ask yourself a critical question. Have you ever experienced the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Like, have you ever felt the weight of your sin? Have you ever felt an overwhelming sense of joy to worship God? Have you ever had an experience, not speaking in tongues? Some do speak in tongues. I can't say they don't. I don't know. I'm not God. But we will find out who's right and who's wrong in in glory, right? We'll find out then. At the end of the day, have you ever had an experience You know, I read this quote from John Piper, and he says that a powerless Christian is an ineffective Christian. A powerless Christian is an ineffective Christian. And we have to ask the question, I believe here, I speak of Jesus, but I've never had that victory over sin. I've never experienced the humbling effect of knowing that God loves me. And I'm going to tell you something. Man, when that tidal wave comes over you of God's affirming love through the power of his spirit, man, it transforms you. You'll be like, man, Lord, I know you're here. I know you're here. And I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about. When you're alone and you're praying by yourself and you feel the sense of the Holy Spirit, man, that's an experience. But if you'd never experienced that, I would ask that you would come and, you know, receive prayer, that God would allow you to experience that, that God would be the one who would transform that. And I ask this question, and being real, are we struggling to be witnesses At our workplace, at school, everyday life, with family, with friends. I mean, being real. I mean, the Great Commission is to do what? Family? What is it? Make disciples. Thank you, Mom. I love you. My mama, y'all. Make disciples. That's the Great Commission. So we're called to be witnesses. 
That's what we're called to do. And we have to be real. Are we struggling? I'll be the first one to tell you I struggle. Am I the only one? Hands? Who struggles? Brother Mo got two hands up. Praise the Lord, bro. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. We all struggle. But you know what? Man, let's ask the Lord to empower us to be witnesses. Man, to fulfill the Great Commission. Man, that we would be a generation on our knees praying for a movement of God's spirit. That we would see that he would bring the convicting power to transform dead men and women to life. And that we would see a revival of God's people, man, praying and believing. Praying and believing. Praying and expecting that God's going to move in our generation. That we would see children come to the faith. Believing and praising the name of Jesus. Man, to know that God is still working through his spirit and to trust in the Lord with that. Prayer is a means, which in the way that happens, family, it's through prayer, believing, abiding. Trusting in. Abiding means to depend upon God. You know, a farmer plants a crop of fields and he waits and he expects. The Lord Jesus has sown into every believer in this room a crop. Some will have a hundredfold, some ten, but at the end of the day, we're all called to make disciples to be witnesses, but we can't do it on our own strength. And that's what I want to leave us with today. Don't depend on your strength. Don't say, well, you know what? I got this book about evangelism and it tells me 10 things how to evangelize. And I'm going to go step by step thinking that's the way it works without even going over there, praying and asking the Holy Spirit to move. Because if you don't pray, God will not move in that situation. You're going against demonic dark forces, and that's the real deal. That is real. As we're being faithful witnesses, believing upon the power of God's prayer, that is the engine that drives the church. And I fear that this generation that we're in, family, we become so, so complacent. We've not sought the Lord in prayer, but we depended upon our own strength. Man, that we would look back at the Old Testament and see how the men of Israel, when they would depend upon their strength, what would happen to them? And I've been guilty of this. Man, I'll be the first one to raise both my hands. Even being up here before, trusting in my own strength. Arrogance, pride. And I confess that now to you all. Because you know what? At the end of the day, we can't do nothing on our own. If we can learn anything from Jesus, being divine, he says, abide in me and you will bear, bear much fruit. Depending upon him through the power of prayer, family. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.